Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. For our next two installments, we present a mysterious old doubleheader. What's a mysterious old doubleheader? Well, glad you asked. We choose two episodes that have something in common with each other, Maybe it's an obvious connection or maybe not so obvious. We listen to one and the following week we listen to the other, discussing each on their own merits and in relation to each other. Maybe it's an in-depth comparison or it might be a straight-up competition. For our first doubleheader, the connection between the episodes is simple. We've chosen two stories from the series Dark Fantasy. Originating from WKY in Oklahoma City, Dark Fantasy was created and written by Scott Bishop. The show ran from November 14, 1941 through June 19, 1942. Most of the actors heard on the show were also from the Oklahoma City area, including veteran radio actor Ben Morris and local stage actor Eleanor Naylor Coffrin. WKY's traffic manager, Daryl McAllister, was brought in to handle sound effects. The station produced a second dark fantasy series from February 17, 1944 to April 12, 1944, but this run never made it to national syndication. This second series featured both Bishop and the show's original producer, John I. Prozer. Why have we chosen two episodes of dark fantasy? If you are familiar with our podcast, you may know that we have a contentious history with this series. There are shows that are poorly written. There are shows that make inexplicable choices, and then there's dark fantasy. Somehow, Scott Bishop was able to consistently write stories with innovative and engaging openings, only to take a bizarre and frustrating left turn into absurd B-movie plots. He's done it to us again and again. Have we cherry-picked the worst examples because we think it's funny? Maybe. No. Not funny. Both Tim and I independently took it upon ourselves to find an episode that was going to change it all. And we each believe that we've found one. So over the next two weeks, we will determine if either or both of our choices will finally reveal the true genius of Scott Bishop and compel Eric to say, guys, I didn't hate that. Or we might both end up owing Eric a huge apology. We'll find out. We start with my choice. First broadcast on May 1st, 1942. This is my contender, the letter from yesterday. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Dark fantasy. The letter from yesterday. I beg pardon, miss, but uh, do you happen to have any material at all dealing with the... If you please. Huh? What's that? 
Will you please lower your voice? What, I... I... And then you might read the sign over there. Or shall I read it for you? Absolute quiet required in this library. My, but you read beautifully. But I, I wonder Will if... you please lower your voice? Oh, oh, sure. I, I, I mean, oh, sure, sure. I'll be more than happy to help you. But you simply can't disturb the others here in the library. I see. Well, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, excuse me, everyone. Oh, I didn't mean please. to disturb you, Will folks. You please, please, be quiet. Well, good heavens, ma'am. I just wanted to apologize. That's quite unnecessary. Now... May I help you? Well, I hope you can. I'm looking for some literature on hydrokinetics. Um, don't suppose a Hick library like this would have anything like that, though. You're a stranger in Jackson City, aren't you? That's right. Uh, how did you know? I know most of the people in town. And besides, folks who live here never refer to the town as having a Hick library. Oh, now look. No offense intended. But after all, I, I don't expect too much from a two-before place that... Probably doesn't have much more to offer than the encyclopedia and a, and a couple of copies of the Rover Boys. You said you wished to see something on hydrokinetics. Uh, uh, that's right. Um, hydrokinetics is a branch of kinetics which relates to liquids. Uh, you see, kinetics is the branch of dynamics Do that... you wish to read Kendall, Johnson, Abernathy, or Sandine on the subject? What? What's that? I said which author do you wish to consult? Those four seem to be the authorities, but some engineers like Alexander and Bowen. Well, look here. Are you serious? Serious? Uh, about having books by Johnson and, and Kendall and Sandine and Abernathy on the theory of hydrokinetics. Will you follow me, please? Yes, certainly. But turn on that light if you wish. It's a little dark in here today. Uh, yes, all right. I think you'll find these quite up to date. I'm sorry that one of the Alexander volumes is out, but it should be back tomorrow. Oh, quite all right. Uh, it's Kendall I'm really after. Uh, here we are. This one. That was printed sometime last year, I believe. Yes, yes it was. Uh, Kendall is propounding a new theory on hydraulics. I read it when I was in New York. I'm glad you didn't have to go back into the city to find what you wanted. No, I... Oh, look here... I owe you another apology, don't I? No, please, don't bother. Oh, but it's no bother. You may use any of the tables over there. Yes, but I, I'd like You'll to... find the one by the window quite good. Hmm. Sensitive. Cute, too. Yeah, darn cute. Yeah, well. Well, let's see. Kendall says... When an ounce of plain lubricating oil is introduced into... Hmm, wonder what her name is. First one, I mean. Nameplate on the desk says, uh, Miss Marshall. Well, that's interesting. Miss Marshall. <laughs> oh, well. Now, as I remember reading about it three months ago, Kendall says that if you introduce... One ounce of common lubricating oil into a cylinder two inches in diameter and four inches in height. <clears throat> Pretty girl. Wonder why I can't get her off my mind. Wonder where she lives. Oh, confound it. Well, then, according to Kendall, if an ultraviolet ray is permitted to cross the cylinder... At the time pressure is applied to the top, the result will. I wonder what a good looking girl like her is doing in Jackson City. 
She's smart, too. I just mentioned hydrokinetics, and she reeled off the four top authorities like she was a student on the subject. I wonder what she's doing tonight. Well, hang it all up. I say, uh, Miss Marshall. Oh, I, I say, Miss Marshall. Yes, what is uh, it? Would it be possible for me to check this book out? I'm very sorry, but I'm afraid not. Well, it's really quite important. I'm an inventor, and I, I'm just on the verge of a very important discovery. I simply must have this book to use. I'm sorry. Perhaps you should buy a copy. Oh, I've tried that. Everywhere in town. There's none I can get a hold of. You could have one sent out from New York. I can't wait that long. I have to work on this thing while it's running through my head. It's very important. I might lose the whole idea by the time a copy came out of New York. I'm sorry. It's quite against the rules to permit anyone to take out a book without a library card. Well, suppose I take a card. Uh, how much? Oh, there's no charge, but you must have a property owner sign your application. Property owner? Application? Yes. Someone who can pay for the book in the event that it's lost and who's willing to personally guarantee your honesty must sign your application. Then your card will be ready within 48 hours. Oh, now look. That's worse yet. I'm sorry. This isn't any way to treat a Jackson City guest, you know. I'd like to help you. Really, I would. Would you? Really? Yes, I... I would, but... I can't break the rules. Now, wait a minute. I've got it. Yes? Your place. What? Uh, your place. Your, your home. Uh, wherever you live. You mean... I mean you can take the book out yourself. You take it home. Then I'll come by tonight and use it there. That's not very clever, Mr... Mr. Whoever you are. Uh, Chase. Adam Chase. And not very original either. Well, there aren't any new ideas. At least give me credit for picking one that's not too bad. <laughs> are you serious about the book? A word of honor, ma'am. I need that book right now like anything. Seriously? Seriously. Well, then I... I just might be able to help you. Would you really? I might. Uh, tell me, can you take dictation? A little. Ah, good. You can help me. Uh, that is, if you'd like to. I might. I'll be glad to pay you. Oh, well, we'll see. You'll do it? You'll take the book home and let me study it there? Yes, I'll, I'll take it home. Ah, good. Uh, where do you live? You won't have any trouble finding me. Just ask anyone for Cicely Marshall. Did you say uh, Cicely Marshall? Yes. What about it? <laughs> well, nothing. I, I, I just like it. it. It happens to be one of my favorite names. Um, what time? Tonight? Uh-huh. Oh, any time after 7.30. Good. How's 7.32? <laughs> you better go now. We're beginning to disturb the folks who are trying to study. Yeah. All right. See you tonight. Now, just a minute. Yes? I've got to consult Kendall again. Hold on there a second. <laughs> Do you really think this invention will prove itself? Well, I'm not exactly an expert, but the idea seems sound. Wait a minute now. Let's see. Oh, yes, here. Find it? Uh-huh. Now, will you take this down? Mm-hmm. Kendall, volume one, page 74. It has been my observation that hydraulic reaction 
often can be obtained through the use of a common water tumbler immersed in H2O. Uh, that's water. <laughs> oh, confound it. There I go again, treating you like a child. You probably know more about this entire subject than I do without my explaining chemical symbols. <laughs> Don't you think we'd better call it a night? No, it's early. It's 1 a.m. No, it couldn't be. <laughs> well, it is, though, see? Oh, brother. I'll bet I'm popular around this place from now on. <laughs> oh, it's all right. I really enjoyed it. Mr. You were serious there in the library, weren't yes, you? Yes, rather. I don't mind saying my complete future is probably tied up in this thing right now. If it's what I think it's going to be, I'm due to make a fortune out of it. I hope you do. Well, thanks. Uh, why? Oh, I like to know people who are successful. Besides, my father was an inventor. Was he really? Yes. He was a brilliant man. He had an invention. I, I never did quite understand what it was. It was before he was married. Someone filed for the patents just a few hours before he did. And he lost out. Someone stole his invention? No. No, it was just a coincidence. But my father was never the same after that. Something happened. I don't know what. I, I remember hearing my family talk about it in whispers when I was just an infant. Is he still alive? No. No, he's been gone three years. Oh, I'm sorry. He was a fine man. Grand, but he, he never got over that whatever it was that happened to him long before I was born. You, you mean there was something more than just the loss of the invention patents? Yes. Something that was, I think, even more tragic. I've never even been able to guess what it was. Maybe it's better than... You don't know. Yes, maybe so. Well, really, I, I should go. It's late. Is there much more to do? Well, yes. I, I have to finish these papers before I can have the model of the invention built. Well, could I help you more? Would you? I'd love to, really. Tomorrow night? Can you wait that long? Well, no, I can't, but <laughs> I will. <laughs> We are all finished. Good. Well, now the model's next. How long do you think it'll take to build it? Well, at least two weeks. We've been on these papers longer than I thought we'd be. Almost 30 days. I really don't know what I've, I've done without you. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Oh, we can relax now till the model's built. Then I'll have to go to Washington. Uh, what time is it? Oh, it's early. Nine o'clock. Oh, good. Time enough to catch the last show. Uh, uh, that is, if you'd like to go out with me. Like to? I can't think of anything I'd like better. Oh, Your train's leaving, Adam. I'll be back with those patents. You will come back? You try to stop me. Oh, goodbye, darling. Cecily! Yes, Adam? Uh, will you marry me when I come back? What? I said, will you marry me? No. When I come back? Oh, yes. Uh, will you ride? Just as soon as I get to Washington. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye, darling. Goodbye.
to my diary. January the 17th. It has been five days since Adam went to Washington. I'll never forget the unromantic but lovable way he asked me to marry him. Standing on the steps of the moving train. Shouting the question at me above the noise of the engine. How I loved him at that moment. How I love him now. But why? Why, oh, why hasn't he written? Five days and not a word from Adam yet. Word has just been received, ladies and gentlemen, that the crack limited from Washington nearing Jackson City less than an hour ago was held up and robbed by unidentified gangsters. The train was flagged down by two men who pretended their car had stalled on the track. The engineer and fireman were shot and killed. All passengers were held at gunpoint and the mail car was entered and robbed. This train robbery will remind old timers of the historic and dramatic train robbery on almost the same spot some 50 years ago. Well, to be exact, 53 years ago, January the 17th. There is no indication as to the identification of today's bandits, but it is believed police have found a vital clue. I want to send this wire to Mr. Adam Chase, Esther Arms Hotel, Washington. Yes. Darling, have not heard from you. Worried. I love you. Sicily. Yes, operator, this is the party calling Washington. Yes, I'm calling Mr. Adam Chase. That's right, at the Esther Arms Hotel. Oh, you have a hotel? Hello? What's that? Checked out. Two weeks ago. Oh. No, thank you. Just cancel the call. To my diary, April the 17th. It has been three months and five days since I last saw Adam Chase. He promised to write immediately from Washington three months ago. He seems to have dropped out of the world. I can't locate him any place. I've just returned from ten days in Washington. Searching. I found nothing. Yes? Come in. Adam. I... I had to come back. Oh, darling. Darling, what's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. You look so ill, so thin. 
I guess I shouldn't be here since you didn't want me. Didn't, but... didn't want you? Didn't want you? Oh, my darling, what makes you say anything like that? I wrote you a, about the invention. I didn't get your letter. I haven't heard a word from you. I told you what happened. That I was ruined. My darling. That if you loved me, you'd come to Washington and we'd make it some way. I didn't get it, Adam. I tell you, I didn't get that letter. I waited. You didn't answer. You didn't come. You didn't want to come. Darling, will you listen to me? I didn't get that letter. What? What, Cecily? I didn't get that letter. You didn't get it? No. No, I, I waited and waited. I wired you, phoned. Well, I just got back from looking from one end of Washington to another for you. Cecily. Oh, my darling, my darling. I was too late. Just... 24 hours too late. Adam. Someone else, someone from California, had just filed for the patents to the same invention. Oh, sweetheart. I was just a few hours too late. Oh, but the invention isn't everything. I wrote to you. I told you what happened. I asked you to come to Washington to marry me. I'd have come in a minute. And I thought, no... The thousands of things I thought. Oh, don't think of them anymore. I, I had to come back. I couldn't live without you. I had to come back to see you. Just once more. I couldn't live without you, Adam. We'll be married. Promise me we'll be married right away. Right away, darling. Yes, right away. two months today. We're very happy. Somehow, there's something more than just our love for one another that makes us so close to each other. I can't explain what it is. We've rented a large house. An old one, but it's adorable. And we're planning to... Cecily! Oh, darling! Yes, dear? Come on up here. To the attic, will you? I've stumbled onto something. All right, Adam. Look what I found. Back among the rafters. Well, what in the world is it? Well, it's an old mail sack full of mail. What? Yeah, look. Look here. These letters. None of them have ever been opened. Why, Adam. Dozens of letters, all sealed... All stamped and dated. Look. Look, Cecily. Postmarks. They're all the same. January 17, 1889. But how in the world did they get here in this attic? I don't know. I wanted to run a radio aerial out uh, on the roof, and I had to crawl way back in the rafters. It was hidden back there, up near the roof. It's evidently been there for years. But how did it get there? Fifty-three years ago. 1889. Look at these letters. Addressed to people all over the country. Everett Holton, Detroit. Jessica Young, New York. Paul Reimer, Chicago. Mr. and Mrs. F.C. Uh, Halliday, 
Grady, Pennsylvania. And look, here's one addressed to President Benjamin Harrison from someone in Maine. Wait a minute, Adam. Oh, look. Huh? This letter. Addressed to Miss Cecily Drew of Youngstown. What? The return address, Mr. Aaron Marshall. My father. He wrote this. I know the handwriting. Cecily Drew was my mother's maiden name. Adam. Yes. Cecily Drew. And she lived in Youngstown. My father? Your mother? Open it. Open it. What? I I said open it. Oh, all right. Oh. What is it? It was my father. Listen. My darling Cecily, I have bad news. I have just learned that someone else has filed for the patent rights to my invention. By some queer trick of fate, another inventor had the same idea as I. Only he has been fortunate enough to get his application for patents into the bureau ahead of me. I fear all my work has been in vain, all my sacrifice useless. I have nothing to offer you now, my dear, but my love. If you still love me, hurry here to marry me. I shall surely never exist if you don't. All my undying love, Aaron. He wrote that... Your father. To my mother. Adam. The train robbery. What? I remember hearing about it on the radio. The train your letter to me was on was robbed. The mail was stolen. And the same thing happened 53 years ago. To your mother. And my father. Only she believed... He failed to come back to her. And he died, never knowing she hadn't read his letter. And his letter has been here, hidden all these long years. Your mother and my father. The Letter from Yesterday, tonight's original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop, originating in the studios of WKY. This is Tom Paxton reminding you to buy United States war bonds and stamps. Dark fantasy comes to you each Friday night from Oklahoma City. This is the National Broadcasting Company. That was The Letter from Yesterday, from Dark Fantasy, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. So that is our first uh, episode of our mysterious old doubleheader in our inaugural doubleheader series, uh, where we choose two episodes that have something in common to each other in some way. And we're doing two dark fantasies in a row, this being the first one. Now, the reason behind this, as you heard in the opening, is I have never heard a dark fantasy 
that didn't somehow make me extremely angry. And in this case, these two are trying to find some episodes in this doubleheader that will make me change my mind about Dark Fantasy. Or, and primarily, let's be honest, Scott Bishop, because Dark Fantasy itself isn't the issue, because that's a really great opening. And then it stops. Let's start with asking Tim, in this process of trying to find something that you thought would appeal to me in Dark Fantasy, why did you choose this episode? I, I went for this episode not only because I thought this holds together well. It doesn't have the bizarre, inexplicable twists that seem to be Scott Bishop's forte. But it's not just that those are bad and this one is good, to my opinion. But this seems like the example of what he's trying to do all the time. That it has a sort of dream logic to it. It is fantastical, like the name implies. Only this time, it's sort of poetic, but this time it works to my mind. And the beats make sense, even if not completely logically, there is a sort of emotional logic to it, I feel. So I felt like even if you didn't necessarily enjoy this just as an episode of radio, it makes sense as to what dark fantasy is sort of trying to evoke. And again, what are they trying to evoke? But particularly after I heard this, I thought, okay, he's going for this thing of you drift off to sleep while you're watching TV and you take the elements of what you were watching and it becomes this sort of dream thing. I think Tim's exactly right in describing the quality of Bishop's writing, good and bad. Uh, the connections are sometimes tenuous or feel subconscious. And as a listener, you can't quite put your finger on them all the time, like where they're coming from. But I will agree with Tim that this has better dream logic than other episodes. He indulges in some very risky storytelling. And I say that assuming everything was intentional on his part, which I'm not entirely convinced of. Um, but it's risky storytelling in that he takes like a, a third of the script just to build this uh, relationship between the two characters. I found that compelling, but I don't think it really pays off ultimately. But I enjoyed the ride up to a certain point. <laughs> so the thing that drives me crazy about Dark Fantasy Scott Bishop and that dreamlike tenuous connection, all of a sudden, everything he writes is like listening to the Roger Waters pros and cons of hitchhiking album. He wrote down his dream and put it to music, which is not great storytelling and is really difficult radio storytelling. So when you say, hey, was this episode different? Oh, yeah. Did he say focused? Oh, yeah, it was really focused. It was one thought, one story, one idea. It's completely different than any other dark fantasy I've ever listened to. But if the pendulum is over here for wacky, weird, I don't know what you're doing, crazy, right? And when I say over here, I'm, you know, my hand's up over here to the right. And then I put my hand up over here to the left. The pendulum swing in this is completely so far over here to the point of, oh my God, this is the most boring, horrific thing I've possibly ever listened to. And Joshua's right. A third of it is like an episode of Little House on the Prairie. It's like, oh, I came into town and I met the librarian and I'm going to quarter and we're going to go get married and nothing interesting happens. There's no explanation of the things that are hooking me. Why does she know so much about physics and or whatever he was inventing which i didn't quite understand hydrokinetics eric okay fine Look i'm an idiot up. 
Go to a I... library. Talk I mean, to the sexy everyone librarian. <laughs> She'll explain it to you. <laughs> I'll do it if it's the librarian from the Adam Ant video. <laughs> so <laughs> from Goody Two Shoes. So we don't find out why she knows all this information, why she has. That's a hook. Like, I thought that's where we're going. Like, nope, that never got explained. She just falls in love with them. And then as we get to the actual twist of, oh, no, weirdly, my father tried to date your mother and for the same exact reason which i don't mind as a wow that's a cool story it reminds me of that internet story of that couple that were in a picture together in disneyland at five years old and uh they didn't know each other they just ended up in a picture together and then they were 22 years old and they met each other and they got married and then the two parents realized you two were in a picture together when you're five years old that's a really interesting story it's not compelling enough to become anything more than, ah, that was a good story to tell around a campfire. That's what this was like. Like, oh, really? Your dad and mom. The other part of it is the mailbag and why it's in their house and how it ended up there. And there's so many loose ends to it that could have been better. But bottom line is, if we're far to the one side of weird, what is happening, Scott Bishop, this was for me so banal and so vanilla and so straightforward that there's got to be a middle ground, man. And he had some opportunities to bring that middle ground. That being said, I hope I haven't hurt your feelings, Tim. No, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. And I, in fact, when I listened to it this most recent time, I realized like this music is almost straight out of a sitcom. Yep. And a, a lot of what I really liked about it is is very kind of me aesthetic stuff of the, oh, the poetics of the movement of hydrokinetics and the trains and time and these different things flowing around each other. And that, I, that's pleasant to think about for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little peekaboo into Tim. Like, oh, thinking about stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There is the one awkward moment of like, hey, that was my mom, your dad, my mom. Of, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's an interesting, ironic campfire story. Like, check this out. Our mom and dads knew each other and dated. Well, I'm going to be doing a armchair rewrite like Eric likes to do to Scott Bishop. And yeah. say that with the smallest tweak, I think the story would work much better and have some active element to it if when they nearly miss each other uh, or miscommunicating with each other when he's in Washington and she's still in Jackson City, if she even heard the ghostly voice of her father saying, go to Washington or some active thing where, where yes. we understood that this would have turned out the exact same way if not for the memory of her father or something. Here it's just like, Oh, weird. Boy, our parents were stupid. Why don't they just get on a train and, or a horse or whatever they rode back then and uh, talk to each other? Like, that's the missing element for, yes. for this story to feel whole to me. That would have actually, for me, ruined it to have some definitive plot element come in and, and sort of say, definitely, this is what it is. Or to have some sort of authoritative voice in there. I know what's happening. Uh, that I liked it better uh, with the mystery. I hear you. And that's why I said uh, like a mysterious voice that you didn't know was, was it a ghostly voice? Was it um, a subconscious memory she has from a child of hearing her father, what he should have done or something to pull this parallel together 
because the problem is it ends on the only weird supernatural seeming element. And that bag of letters has to be a supernatural element. Otherwise, it's just too ridiculous. Maybe not supernatural, but it has this cosmic twist of fate to it. Yeah, because they picked the one house where those letters ended up and we don't know why. Part of what makes it appealing to me and unsettling is that I don't know the rules. I don't know why it works this way. It's again that dream logic of if that's the case and it makes no sense whatsoever, well then it's just gibberish and anything can happen and it doesn't matter. There's no stakes. But because there's a sort of, you can almost get it, you can almost see it, it really evokes being in a dream in a way that I like. I think for me, the atmosphere and the Again, we're going to keep saying dreamlike, but I, I can't think of a better way to describe it. The dreamlike quality of the first half of this. And you know this can't be as straightforward as it seems as he talks to her about his invention and goes back to her house. And then we find out there's something mysterious in the past with her father and he was an inventor. So there, you know, that, that's the first sign about 10 minutes in that something strange is going on here, some strange parallel. And then it goes away immediately, and then he vanishes, which seems mysterious again. And so I'm hooked, like, okay, we're on the train, literally and figuratively, we're, <laughs> we're chugging along here. And then there's a robbery on the train, and someone's killed. But then you find out it's just a mail robbery. Scott Bishop has a hard time making a train robbery exciting. <laughs> it's like, and they stole some mail. <laughs> um, but then... It made me think when he shows back up finally after being missing for a month or three months, however long it is, and he's pale and strange at the door. I don't know about you guys, but I instantly thought, oh, he was killed on the train and yes. he's come back from the dead. Yes. I'm not saying that would be better than what we got here, but the problem with the way it was structured for me is it kept making me guess more extreme versions of the story. And so when it settles back into this slow, strange, but still kind of romantic and sweet story, I kept feeling jarred. And I wish I'd just been kept moving in the correct direction. <laughs> First of all, you're wrong that if he was a ghost and was killed on the train, that would make it a better story. So you're absolutely wrong correcting yourself and brilliant, bravo, well done, Joshua. And second, there's also in how that dialogue is written when he comes back, leads you to believe that something weird is going on because he won't quite answer her questions directly. And then she keeps saying, I did write you. And he's just not. And then after a while he goes, what you did write me like, yeah, she said that 95 times now. And so it makes you go, Oh, that's telling us something about what's happened to him. He's gone crazy. You know, he's had a lobotomy. <laughs> he had a train lobotomy, but something is happening. the planet Ventos. Right. <laughs> something has happened to him but then it turns out to be nothing and so the dialogue itself in how it's written and how it's paced is misleading and disappointing consequently yeah i think that might be a, a singular thing that is a weakness of scott bishop's is that you're talking about transitioning from beat to beat from this moment to this moment because he twists around so much you like what am i supposed to think here what am i supposed to feel here this time, I just enjoyed the fact that this was a story. There's nothing really more to it than a love story with a lot of coincidences, like an, an inexplicable number of coincidences. Would you guys agree, and it's okay if you don't, of course, but would you agree with the assessment that Scott Bishop 
is a on paper writer and not a radio drama writer. I would not agree I, with that. <laughs> I was just going to agree with that. Damn it. <laughs> Here's why I say that is because it seems to me like he's appealing if you read him in a book, but it's not translating to a radio drama. For example, when he's discussing the infatuation with the librarian, they're not established as inner thoughts, right? So either A, he's actually talking out loud like that, and it happens a few times, so I'm just using that one example. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to understand that these are his inner thoughts, right? If it's actually him, he talks out loud like that, then that's ridiculous and stupid. So we go, this got to be his inner thoughts, his inner monologue. No one would talk out loud. But then production-wise, radio drama-wise, if you knew what you were doing, all you'd have to do is throw a slight bit of reverb on that so we go, oh, these are his inner thoughts. In novel form, I think we would get that. Do you get what I'm saying? Production value-wise, know what you're doing, throw a little reverb on it, let the listener know where we're at. I don't agree with you in that I think he establishes from the top of that scene that this is in a broad romantic comedy style. And people would do this in film in that genre where you're talking out loud for comic effect. It's very clear that this is meant to be comedic, this whole scene in the library. Also, I think it is just how critical you're being because there are lots of lots of horror scripts from this era that have people thinking out loud without any reverb or anything, but it's a better script and we don't stop and think about it. Lights Out does it all the time. Yeah. I, think I just think it's the least of the concerns over the script. <laughs> no, I'm using it as an example yeah. of trying to make my point that perhaps he writes to be read mm. and then doesn't put the effort in to understand how to make what he's written translate as an audio story a lot of what he what he writes elsewhere also is in very much an older style of radio of like which is tale in hermit's cave yeah, he's um, about 10 years behind the writing style it didn't strike me as odd because i just take him in that context right in that beginning early 30s mid 30s way of over explaining things which then became the staple of how young adult and children's radio was like the Superman serials and and Lone Ranger for that matter. But I also know that there is a convention of a slight reverb that has been done that establishes, okay, we're now in their head. The thing he did do, which I to give credit is established. He is not talking to anyone right now. He's you know alone at a table and just observing. So it was clear to me. I'm having a breakthrough here in that I, I really wish I had an opportunity to listen to this again outside the context of this double header because I had never heard it before. And so I think part of the way I listened to it was, okay, if Tim brought this to convince Eric, there's got to be something happening pretty soon. Well, this is suicide. You're, <laughs> you're giving this to Eric to listen to? I mean, I think that was my thought process. So maybe that's why I anticipated some bigger and bolder choices happening because I'm like, Jim wouldn't pick this one. But it did accomplish the specific thing that I say about dark fantasy that drives me crazy is sudden plot twists going somewhere else and it's all over the place. This stayed right at home. It never veered from what it was. It's very focused. Like I said at the top, I wasn't so much trying to find like, this is the really good episode as much as this is what to me makes sense as to what Scott Bishop is kind of always working toward. That point is well taken. I suddenly thought of a different dark fantasy that I almost brought to the podcast called The Sea Phantom. And I'm- Triple header. 
<laughs> certainly seeing a lot of parallels, though. It's a story in which there's no real conflict happening. It's a ghost story in which the protagonists hear the message from the ghost, listen to it, and live. <laughs> it's just like nothing bad happens. And I really liked it because of that. And in some ways, that's really what this is, too. It's what if it's the House of Cypress Canyon, but nothing bad happens to the couple. That's what we call a <laughs> terrible story. <laughs> I know, but what I'm saying is I can admire that if Scott Bishop was actually trying to do that as a counterpoint to what our expectations usually are in a horror story or right. whatever kind of story this was. Because it really is just a romantic... Yeah, it's a romance with supernatural trappings. Yeah, but barely even supernatural trappings. Kind of a little more like Twilight Zone before there was a Twilight Zone. More like cute story. Rod Serling's uh, cute stories. (laughs) 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 To pivot just a tiny bit, this also made me think about other uh, Scott Bishop stories and so like, oh, there's a little bit of a theme of romance thwarted by extraordinary circumstances and extraordinary circumstances to bring them back. And that silence makes me think that I'm alone in that. No, I I see it, but I do, I'll go back to what I think this script is lacking is some sort of extraordinary circumstances because there really isn't. The extraordinary circumstance is I did the smart thing and just came and knocked on your door when I didn't hear from you. So like the moral of the story is their parents were idiots. (laughs) If there was a supernatural element, it suggests that fate is stepping in and you can still leave it very ambiguous. But to me, it's just, I have the same response the couple did at the end. They're just like, huh, (laughs) what should we do with this big big freaking bag of mail? (laughs) Go through it and look for birthday money. (laughs) Again. If they just would have rode, as Joshua said, whatever it is they rode in those days <laughs> to Washington, D.C. Motor horses. Camels. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we go to our voting, gentlemen? I admire some of the tactics that Bishop employed to pad out his page count. A long explanation of how to get a library card in Jackson City. <laughs> <laughs> And a scene of slowly dictating from a book on <laughs> hydrokinetics. Um, at the top, his move to like, I- I'm going to get in good at this girl. Like, let me into your house so I can read a book. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not a good start to a relationship. That's how it all worked back then. <laughs> <laughs> I've rode my mule here and I'm going <laughs> to demand to be let into your house. I'm literate. Marry me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily think this was a really great episode, but I was taken by surprise of how much I did enjoy it. And I recognize that some of that is just personal, like that stuff I enjoy. And yeah, I like it. We're going to take that as your vote then, Tim. Not a classic. (laughs) You liked it. Joshua? Yeah, it's definitely not a classic. Uh, It is, as Tim said, it's noteworthy for being such a mellow installment in a series that is known for such outrageous dialogue and plot twists, Uh, but it's not noteworthy enough to give it any real historical value or interest. So uh, it stands the test of time because I do think it's as inoffensive and dull today as it probably was in 1942. (laughs) But, you know, it falls in that middle ground for me where it's not gloriously bad enough to listen to again, like the other Scott Bishop stuff, but not quite good enough to really have a lot of re-listen value. But Tim, you successfully changed my mind about a lot in here though. So kudos. Yay. So what Tim accomplished by bringing this to the podcast 
was actually make me appreciate those terrible episodes of dark fantasy. I liked those better. The ones that made me angry and I yell about, I like them better than this. This was so God awful, boring and slow and nothing happening. And when we get to the end, there are things that could have been explained with some kind of twist that never were why she's super intelligent, where the letters, all of these things. There's a lot of areas that could have happened. Nothing happens. It's so the other way pendulum swing boring that I not only don't think it stands the test of time, it's not a classic I, and I don't like it, but I would rather listen to any of the other dark fantasies. There was a lot more fun to go, what is happening? Than to go, oh my God, if this episode of the Waltons doesn't end soon. <laughs> if I got you to appreciate Spawn of the Subhuman a little bit more, then I'm very proud of my work here. If I was thrown on an island and they said, you can either listen to this uh, Letters from Yesteryear or Spawn of the Subhuman over and over again for the rest of your life, oh, it'd be Spawn of the Subhuman. That what is likely it? to happen. <laughs> oh my god is that oh, the way is? this country is going yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right tim tell them stuff please go visit ghoulishdelights.com home of this podcast you'll find other episodes there several from dark fantasy uh you can leave comments and episodes you can let us know what you thought you can send us notes messages link to our social media pages if you have requests for episodes you want to listen to that's the way to get a hold of us and also if you like listening to us on spotify I've been told to mention Spotify because we're on Spotify, so you can listen to us on Spotify. <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. As we say every week, we have lots of bonus content there. Exciting members-only podcasts. We are going to start doing some uh, Zoom social hours too with our patrons. And so that will be fun. Uh, in theory, we haven't done one yet. Maybe it was terrible and awkward. <laughs> Everybody hated it, but we're going to try it sometime soon. Uh, who knows? Uh, you can also go to iTunes and write a review. Please uh, tell us how much you like us better than Dark Fantasy. <laughs> 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 the bar is low also up until march of this year we're performing live and doing recreations of old-time radio shows well since then we've been still doing our shows but virtually online but no one shows up <laughs> <laughs> we uh we have been writing original work since april of this year and recording them and then producing them and then you buy a ticket at parksquaretheater.org we join you you listen like old time radio gather around your computer and listen to our original works that we are doing monthly all right what's coming up next next we have part two of this dark fantasy double header it is my choice it is the headless dead until then Look out! <laughs> 